The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Futures pointing to green arrows at the open. One day after investors mounted a major comeback, warning while one of the leading global health officials said the world is going into the early stages of another COVID-19 wave. Two developing stories out of Asia. China cyber regulators launching another crackdown on Tencent, Alibaba, and others. And in Hong Kong, police arrested the former top editor of the now-closed pro-democracy Apple Daily Tabloid. Earnings alert, Netflix misses on the bottom line, but beats on the key metric of paid subscriber growth. And congratulations, Milwaukee. The Bucks winning the NBA championship, the club's first title in half a century. It is Wednesday, July 21st. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to the markets this morning after the Dow closed up nearly 550 points higher yesterday, recovering most of the losses from Monday's sell-off. Remember, Monday, the worst day of the year for the markets. Futures right now in the green. The Dow up, poised to pop, just about 200 points. All three indices, they closed about a percent and a half higher yesterday. And now look at the 10-year. Remember when we've tracked that every day? Well, the 10-year yield really stabilizing right now. Right now, right around 1.25 after falling to its lowest level in five months on Monday. And, of course, we're watching cryptos. Bitcoin back above 30,000, trading about 3% higher this morning. We're going to have much more on that coming up in the show. Now to trading overseas. Arjumana Bersechi, she joins us now from our London newsroom with the market story from there. Hey, Jumana. Morning, Frank. It's amazing how market sentiment just quickly turns around. We're also seeing it today in Europe, a very strong bounce across all of these European majors. The stock 600 is about one and a half percentage points away from its all-time highs. So we're almost back there at the tops again. But in terms of the breakdown, FTSE 100 in the UK up about 1.4 percentage point. Very strong day for retailers today. Uh, one name in focus is next. The retailer posted very strong results. But broadly speaking, we're seeing a very good bounce back in some of the oil and energy stocks. Remember, that's been a focus. Basic resources, as well as some of the travel and leisure stocks also having a good day today as well. Kekahont in France up 1.2 percentage points. The vaccination rollout continues to be very, very strong in the last couple of days for France. So that's been good as far as the macro is concerned. Zetradax in Germany, the relative underperformer up about two-thirds of a percentage point. We have had a, com- a bunch of companies report, namely Daimler, the auto company warning that their production is going to be a little lower in the second half of the year because of ongoing chip shortage supplies. Again, a theme that has been picked up in many areas of the auto industry, but something that is notable because it is lagging a little bit in the Zetradax index. But in terms of overall sectors, Every single one of the sectors in Europe is trading in the green today. You can see the defensives are the ones that are underperforming relatively. Real estate up about six-tenths of a percentage point. Food and Bev up about a tenth. But right at the top, as I mentioned, travel, amazing comeback today, up four percentage points. Some of the uh, hoteliers, like Intercontinental, up three percentage points. So 
really having a good session in, in Europe. Banks also cyclicals up two percentage points. We had UBS earnings yesterday, very positive for the sector as a whole. So that's translating in terms of performance. And then retail, as I mentioned, another very strong start to the day. So overall, Frank, a lot of green on the board today in Europe and quite a different sentiment from what we had on Monday morning when it seemed like people were really gripped by the emergence of this Delta variant and what that could mean for growth. Yeah, Giovanna, absolutely. What a difference a day can make. Thank you for that report. Now to some of the morning's other top stories are Bertha Coombs. She joins us with those. Good morning to you, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. I'm on Team Green today, too. We're watching shares of Netflix after the company's latest earnings fell short of Wall Street estimates, but revenue and global paid net subscriber additions did top expectations. We're going to have more from Julia Borston on Netflix in just a bit. Meantime, a stark warning from the head of the World Health Organization today. He says the world is in the early stages of yet another wave of COVID-19 infections and deaths. Among other factors, he cites the vaccine and testing discrepancies between wealthy and low-income countries. And a new study shows the Johnson & Johnson vaccine may be less effective against the Delta variant than it is against the original COVID virus. The study, led by a doctor at NYU, has not yet been peer-reviewed or published in a scientific journal. Its findings are contrary to smaller studies published by J&J earlier this month that showed the vaccine is effective against the Delta variant. That's going to be one to watch, Frank. All right, Bertha, thank you very much for that. All right, let's get back over to the markets and your money. As Bertha mentioned, she's on Team Green, Wall Street on Team Green, at least this during the early trade. The futures all the way in the green. The Dow poised to pop just under 200 points. All three indices up right now, following Wall Street's comeback yesterday. And joining us now, Tiffany McGee, Pivotal Advisor, CEO, and a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Tiffany. Thanks for waking up early with us. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Tiffany, you need a little coffee? Usually you're like popped. No, I, ha- I have my coffee right here. I'm good. I'm just waiting for you to I'm kick just me a teasing. question. You know what? I, I think the real question is, what do, you see, what do you see as the catalyst for markets trading so much higher yesterday? Of course, we had a great day on the markets yesterday. Um, but on Monday, we saw the worst day of the markets for the year. What are you attributing this investor confidence to this morning? Yeah, you know, I, 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 it was very clear that the closer we got to the end of the year, we were going to see increased volatility. And, you know, lately it seems like, um, you know, every little thing is kind of turning the market. So when you think back about two weeks ago, it was really centered on the Fed and the Fed statements and, and, and Chairman Powell statements about inflation. Um, and so now um, I, I think that, you know, maybe on Monday we had a little bit of a uh, you know, uh, anxiety around the Delta variants. Um, but you know what, you know, we're really in full swing in terms of earnings season and we're getting some great numbers. Um, and so maybe people are getting a little bit more confident. So, you know, I, at this point, I really can't call it, but I do believe that we are going to kind of see this volatility at least to the end of the year, certainly at least through September. And, and, and kind of speaking of this and, and, and mentioning the Fed, if I can go into it, um, you know, this, this talk about inflation and is inflation transitory, temporary, whatever you want to call it. And I kind of view this um, as, you know, it's like the difference between like jumping on a hard surface and jumping on a trampoline. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you jump higher and faster on a trampoline because the trampoline gives, right? And so then you're starting from a lower point and the forces are kind of propelling you higher. And when you look at the industries that are driving prices higher, these are the ones that were really depressed from the pandemic, but they're now starting to kind of boost from the reopen. 
But I believe these eventually will settle. Things like rental cars, right? So rental right. cars accounted for one third of the inflation. Um, and so, you know, th- th- those were depressed. Energy prices, travel, and so forth. So those are all coming back. All right. You just mentioned earnings just a short time ago. Let's, let's kind of get into it. Uh, Netflix had its earnings yesterday. A lot of people disappointed by the subscriber numbers, disappointed by the forward guidance, but encouraged by the idea that Netflix is going to enter the gaming space. What's your take on this stock? Is Netflix simply a stay at home pandemic stock or does it have more runway? It has tons of runway. And so I've owned Netflix for a while. Um, I have. This is actually one of my favorite stocks. I think people need to remember that this is the company that used to sell uh, movies from uh, the, you know, DVDs. Remember when you would put like the movie, um, you would <laughs> put do. like the DVD in the DVD player in a box. They basically put Blockbuster out of business. And so their entire story in history from um, pivoting, you know, I, I think we wouldn't even be talking about streaming if it wasn't for Netflix today because they were a leader. And, you know, I'm not really not concerned. I mean, I know that they missed a little bit on, on, on the bottom line, but then, um, but then uh, you know, beat subscriber growth. I'm not really concerned with those details, right? So I love the fact that they announced gaming. They said it's going to be like a, a, a multi-year multi-year effort. And they've got, you know, uh, Mike Verdu, who used to work for EA and Facebook coming on to lead that, to lead that, um, that, um, charge. And they have a differentiating factor. I listened to the earnings call, um, uh, yesterday again, one is the IP that they're going to create. So they have all of these shows, this proprietary content that their that their um, customers, their subscribers are fans of, and they want to see more. So they can make games, create games around that. And the second thing is their model is not like this traditional gaming model. So they don't have to focus on ads. They don't have to focus on in-game purchases. So that allows them to kind of focus mm-hmm. on creating great content for games. So I'm really excited about that. You know, speaking and of And by the way, just... Oh, can, no, can I just like add two things about about runway? When sure. you look at Netflix, has always said that their that their biggest competition is not Disney Plus or not Amazon, but it's linear TV. And when you look at the market streaming overall, the penetration of streaming uh, in terms of um, uh, um, a linear TV is twenty six percent. And Netflix only has 7% of that 26%. And they're about 800 to 900 million. They said this on, on the earnings call last night, yesterday, 800 to 900 million um, uh, linear TV households around the world. So there's, there's plenty of runway to go. All right, Tiffany, one more thing really quick before we go. What's your take on Chipotle earnings? About half of their sales coming from digital. They're saying dining rooms are almost back to their pre-pandemic levels. Has Chipotle officially mm-hmm. transitioned from being one of those pandemic stocks, those stay-at-home stocks? And what's the key component that makes it one that has more runway even during the recovery? Yeah, I think it's both. And so from the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there were two companies that I, that I really thought were, were well-positioned in the, right in that hard, hard time of the pandemic and going forward. Um, one was Starbucks, but the other was Chipotle. And so, um, you know, they were, and the reason why that was is they had this really robust, um, 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 what is it called? Their uh, loyalty program. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I just, it's a really early Frank. Uh, it is early. And so when you have those loyalty, yeah, when you have those loyalty programs, I'm just looking at the stat right now, um, from 2019, it's up to 23 million. You have your customers ordering on an app and you're able to capture information. You're able to, 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 to market directly to them. And they had this digital robust, um, 
uh, online presence, this, this mobile presence. And so they were able to quickly pivot in this pandemic-like environment. And now Tiffany, what really they're quick, seeing we is pivot. 48% of their... We got to pivot. It's been oh, great okay. stuff. You All brought right, the heat as but always. Yes, I love Chipotle. Thank you for rising okay. and shining. I'm a fan of it too. Thanks for being here. Tiffany McGee. All right. When we come back, United Airlines looking to take off. Why this could be a post-pandemic play for investors. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back. Shares of Netflix down fractionally this morning, about a quarter of a percent. This after the streaming giant reported earnings that missed on the bottom line, while revenue and global paid net subscriber additions, those topped estimates. Our Julia Borston has more on the numbers and the company's forecast. That's right, Frank. Netflix forecast three and a half million new subscriber additions in the third quarter. That was two million short of analyst expectations. There are also some signs of market saturation in Netflix's biggest market in the U.S. and Canada. The company actually lost 430,000 subscribers between the first and second quarter there. But Netflix explained its plans for a new potential growth driver, games, which they say will be included in members' Netflix subscription at no additional cost. And for now, they'll be primarily focused on games for mobile devices. There's things that um, our consumers love in our service. So Shonda Rhimes' future work, um, we're very confident of. Uh, Video gaming, you know, we're uh, pushing on that and that'll be part of our service. Um, so unscripted, all those things. So think of that as making the core service better. So lots of investment, but not a separate profit pool. It's enhancing, um, you know, the big service that we have. The company is saying it has already spent $8 billion in cash on content so far this year. That's up 41% from the year earlier period. And they say they expect a long runway of increasing investment across all content categories. Netflix co-CEOs Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos also weighing in on all the media consolidation that's been going on. They say they don't think it has impacted their growth. And as for whether they are interested in participating in M&A, they say they don't view any assets as must have. Frank, back over to you. All right. Our Julia Borston with the very latest. Time now for some of your other big money movers. Four stock stories of the morning. First up, United Airlines, the carrier posting another loss in the second quarter. But it was the smallest loss of the pandemic, and United expects it to be profitable again in the third quarter on a pre-tax basis. The company says business and international travel improved more quickly than expected, and it sees demand fully recovering by 2023. 
United Airlines CEO Scott Kirby will be on Squawk Box in an exclusive interview at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Time. Stock two, Chipotle. We're just talking about this burrito chain. The second quarter earnings and same store sales beating estimates as COVID restrictions eased and people, they kind of trickle back to offices and they order more lunch. But the company warns higher beef and freight costs will offset the benefit of menu price increases, at least in the near term. Stock three, Novartis. Second quarter profit and sales topping forecast as key drugs for heart failure, psoriasis and arthritis. They drove growth. The Swiss company also backing its guidance for the full year. And finally, ASML, the chip equipment maker reporting profit, jumped nearly 40 percent in the second quarter as sales soared amid the global semiconductor shortage. The Dutch company raising its revenue guidance for the year and announced a $10.5 billion share buyback. ASML, which services all the world's chip makers, says demand remains strong. Coming up, Elon Musk's plan for supercharger stations and why non-Tesla drivers are cheering that news Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And welcome back. Let's get a check on the morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Good to see you. Hey, Frank. Good to see you. Good morning. Western wildfires continue to rage with three million people remaining under red flag warnings in eight states. Oregon's bootleg fire, now classified as a mega fire, has burned more than 380,000 acres and is only about 30 percent contained. Some Western fires have gotten so large that the smoke has traveled all the way to the East Coast. We're talking over 2,000 miles and is now blanketing cities, including New York and Washington, D.C., with hazy skies. The man who chaired Donald Trump's 2017 inaugural committee was arrested on Tuesday and charged with violating federal lobbying laws. The indictment said Thomas Barrick unlawfully tried to influence foreign policy decisions of the Trump campaign and administration to advance the interests of the United Arab Emirates. A spokesman says Barrick will plead not guilty. Now to last night's exciting Game 6 of the NBA Finals, where the Bucks needed one more win over the Suns to clinch their first championship in half a century. It was back and forth. It was low scoring at the start. And Chris Paul led Phoenix with 26 points. He fought until the end to try to force that Game 7. But, of course, the star of the show and the series was Giannis Andrekumpo. The Greek freak tied the NBA record for scoring in a closeout finals game. He dropped 50 points, grabbed 14 rebounds, blocked five shots. You saw all those fans there, 17,000 in the arena, 65,000 outside the Pfizer Forum there in Milwaukee. Saw the Bucks take game six and the championship. The final score, 105-98. It's the second time the Bucks have won it all. Their first since Lou Alcindor, before he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right. led them in 1971. And then 50 years later, here we are, and it is Giannis holding up that trophy as the finals MVP. Uh, Frank, I mean, I was rooting for the Suns, Frank, but I mean, you can't root against. You've got to be happy for Giannis. Right. It's just an oh, unbelievable absolutely. story. 
Great series. You went to college in Arizona, right? So you kind of have some ties to the Phoenix area? I did. That's yeah. why I was rooting for the Suns. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was on that Suns and Four bandwagon. I'm not going to do it in the video, <laughs> but I was yeah. on that Suns and Four bandwagon for a minute. But it was great to see Giannis get the victory right there. Just a great series and a great season for the NBA after the bubble when there was so much uncertainty about this season. A lot of people saying, oh, there's not going to be any stars in the finals. Still a great finals. Yeah, and Giannis has now solidified himself as a superstar for the ages. Yeah, and just a little NBA history. Oscar Robinson was on that team with uh, Lou Alcindor back then, too. So two, two big stars there. We know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, probably the better known of the two. All That's right, right. Philip, thank you very much. Have a great day. All, All right, right let's get over to trending now, which includes some bad news for one Olympic team, a small town seeing a big housing boom, and the future of Tesla superchargers. The lovely and talented Bertha Coombs. She's back with more. <laughs> hey, Bertha. <laughs> Wow, thank you. Thanks, Frank. Six swimmers from the Polish Olympic team have been sent home just days before the start of the ceremonies, but not because they tested positive for COVID. Poland actually selected too many swimmers for its team by mistake. The majority of the Polish swim team have called for the Polish Swimming Federation's board to resign over the incident. A city of just 184,000 people in Montana is the new number one housing market on the WSJ Emergent Housing Markets Index. Billings, Montana topped this summer's list as it saw a 57% increase in page views for its property listings from outside the metro area. The average price for a single-family home also rose 32% from a year earlier. And Elon Musk has confirmed that the Tesla Superchargers will soon be available to be used by all electric vehicles. In reply on Twitter, Musk said the charging network will be open to other EVs later this year, and that originally it was only intended for Tesla cars because the company created its own connector. Tesla currently operates more than 25,000 charging stations around the world. That is the one thing that I think think keeps a lot of us from thinking about electric vehicles is I mean I live in New York City right. so it's kind of hard not like they're you know at every corner yeah you know charge availability is one big question but uh, actually I, I know some friends that have Teslas and they're actually not excited about this possibility or this news because they say they want to be able to just pull up and charge their car and they're worried now that other people with other electric cars are going to tie yeah. up those those Tesla supercharger stations and it'll be harder for them to charge because remember it's not like a gas station it, only, it takes more than like 15 30 seconds you got to sit there. Um, so, you know, yeah, some people well, happy. The other thing is, hopefully, I, I think as more of these uh, automakers are committed, we're going to see more of a push. You know, for example, if we do get an infrastructure bill that they are down to the wire to try to come up with, it will include something along the lines of adding more charging stations. So it's coming. All right, Bertha Coombs, thank you. And great segue, actually, because coming up, a key day on Capitol Hill for infrastructure. A live report from D.C. on what investors need to know. Plus, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Ready for a rally? Futures point to another green day on Wall Street. And Bitcoin back above 30,000. A big conference today could be make or break for the crypto crowd. And payday, JP Morgan, it made it very, very lucrative for CEO Jamie Dimon to stay on the job. It is Wednesday, July 21st, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC.
All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Let's take a look at the markets right now. Futures in the green across the board. The Dow poised to pop just about 200 points at the open, bust both the blue chip index and the S&P up about a percent or so higher, uh, looking like it's going to, oh, excuse me, a half a percent higher uh, this morning at this point. The Nasdaq just slightly higher. Now to two big stories out of Asia this morning. Another headline on China cyber regulators cracking down on tech companies. And in Hong Kong, authorities arrest another person related to the now defunct pro-democracy Apple Daily newspaper over national security. Our Eunice Yoon joins us live from Beijing with much more on both stories. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Well, China's cyber regulators, as you mentioned, have ordered Alibaba, Tencent, Weibo, among other tech companies, to clean up content deemed inappropriate and potentially harmful to minors. So the cyber watchdog issued guidelines for what it described as a clean summer vacation for tech. And that means rectifying any videos, GIFs or other media that could harm children physically or mentally. And so everything from sexually suggestive content to the misuse of cartoon characters and not providing rigorous enough controls for parental for, for parents. Now, Alibaba, Tencent, and Weibo have all been hit with unspecified fines. Now, over in Hong Kong, authorities have arrested an eighth person who worked at the now disbanded pro-democracy paper, the Apple Daily. The police have arrested and detained a 51-year-old former executive editor-in-chief for allegedly, quote, conspiring to collude with foreign forces to endanger national security. Now, this comes after police raided the paper in June um, on the premises that it may have violated the national security law. Uh, this also comes as uh, the city has been debating and just started discussion on a new anti-doxing privacy bill. Uh, the pro-democracy advocates are concerned that this bill could be used to suppress any opposition voices. The uh, government, though, has said that it's necessary to uh, try to fix what they see as, as a problem um, and so that it could make it easier for authorities to prosecute pros protesters who dig up information on police and officials uh, and make it public. Uh, activists as well as uh, U.S. tech giants such as uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and um, and uh, Google worry that the language in the legislation, though, is too vague and have said that if the legislation does go ahead, these tech giants might end up pulling out of the city. Frank? You know, Eunice, I want to look back at that first story you talked about, China's tech crackdown. Um, just in general, is there an end goal to this? I mean, they've kicked out Bitcoin miners. They've made other steps that are would be seen here in the U.S. at least as anti-tech. Do you, do you have a sense of what the overall goal here is? Well, I mean, in terms of, of crypto, they obviously want to clean things up, make sure that things don't get too out of control in terms of the tech crackdown. I mean, it really depends on which area you're looking at. So, for example, for this particular uh, crackdown that we're seeing in the mainland, it, just from the language of that particular legislation, it's really geared towards trying to promote values for minors. Whereas in Hong Kong, we're seeing that the language around the legislation there is more about privacy. So it's really difficult to tell what the overall goal is, except that the Beijing authorities really want to make sure that they have control over what is said and done here in um, mainland China as well as in Hong Kong. All right, Eunice Xin with the very latest. We know you'll stay on top of it. Thanks for that report. 
All right, now turning our attention to Washington, D.C., where lawmakers face a key moment in infrastructure negotiations. Alon Moy joins us with the very latest. Good morning, Alon. Well, Frank, Democrats are plowing ahead with the plan to move forward on the bipartisan infrastructure framework today, setting up a crucial test of Republican support. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer will call for a procedural vote to limit debate on this issue. It needs 60 votes to pass, at least 50 Democrats and 10 Republicans. But GOP senators are balking at this deadline. They're saying the bipartisan bill is simply not ready. Instead, they want Democrats to delay this vote until next week. We are making progress, and it makes no sense to rush into a cloture vote um, when we don't have language to share with our colleagues. Now, Democrats say their goal is just to make sure these negotiations don't drag on forever. They want to ensure that Republicans will seal the deal. We've waited a month. It's time to move forward. Once we get on the bill, there's going to be plenty of time for the bipartisan group to continue its work. Democrats also need to know if this group is going to succeed because that could change the size of their own $3.5 trillion spending plan. They may have to fold in parts of this bipartisan framework into it. And at the same time, new projections suggest if the Dem-only plan is made permanent, Frank, the final cost would be more like $5.5 trillion. So a lot of big dollars at stake here. Back over to you. Uh, That's a big difference right there, Alon. Um, So question to you. Um, Why are the Democrats kind of resistant to pushing to next week if they're really poised to get a lot of things that they want? Yeah, so Chuck Schumer had already laid out this deadline. He said that if the talks are as close to being done as Republicans say they are, that they should have no problem with having this procedural vote today. And there's still even a little bit of wiggle room here that Republicans and Democrats still have Thursday to sort of come together with that final legislative checks before he inserts his own language there. Last night, uh, both sides were pretty optimistic about reaching a deal, but it seems at this point that that procedural vote will fail. The question is, will the optics of that really sort of taint the water, if you will, um, and make it more difficult for them to just cross the finish line here? So they say that they're close. Chuck Schumer says, all right, if you say that you're that close, show me with your vote and vote to move forward with this issue so that they can get going on an infrastructure package. Yeah, Alon, close only counts in two things, and this is definitely not horseshoes. Alon Moy with the very latest. Thanks for that. (laughs) Now back over to Netflix. As we continue to follow that stock today, earnings fell short of Wall Street estimates, but revenue and global paid net subscriber additions, those topped expectations. The company also confirming it is moving into the gaming industry. Joining me now for reaction is Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Frank. So, Sarah, you and I, we chatted about this yesterday. Uh, You know, Netflix, kind of a mixed report. What's the big takeaway from this report for you? The big takeaway is that subscriber growth is slowing, Frank. We saw last quarter there was some bad projections heading into this quarter, and so the stock tanked. This quarter, the same thing. It's not just that there was a low number of subscriber ads. In my calculation, it's the lowest it's been in many years. But they also forecasted growth to be slow for the following quarter, for Q3. And that matters, Frank, because earlier this year, they said that they thought the back half of the year is when they thought growth would pick back up. Now they're saying, look, this is just a response to COVID volatility. We expect this to sort of flatten out and become more consistent over time as COVID recedes. 
But Frank, I think it's really a matter of whether or not you have new entrants to the market, folks like Disney Plus, HBO Max, that are starting to cut into that growth, especially here in North America. You're kind of taking the words out of my mouth. I don't know about you, but I was really excited to see Black Widow. And I really thought about going to the theater. And then I popped over my Disney Plus and it was right there and I bought it. I'm also a big fan of NFL football, knowing I'll be able to watch that on Amazon Prime or on a Paramount Plus. How does Netflix fend off these competitors that have things they just don't have, like blockbuster Marvel movies or Disney movies or live sports? It's a great question. I mean, one thing they're trying to do, I think, is build up some of those franchises that's you know, folks like Disney have, that folks like Warner Brothers have, so that they can become go-to programming for big hits. One of the things that they said yesterday in their earnings call, as you noted at the top, is that they're getting into gaming. When you get into things like games, they're also experimenting with merchandising and podcasts. It's not because they're looking to make extra revenue from those new ventures. It's because they want to develop stronger relationships with consumers around some of their temple franchises. Now, right now, they have nothing that stacks up to a Black Widow or nothing that stacks up to an NFL friend. But they're trying to build out temple programming that one day you will think of as being such a blockbuster franchise that you're willing to pay you know, the extra for the premium tier or you're willing to get a standalone subscription of your own and not share a password with someone. That's the goal for them. So, Sarah, right now the stock's down fractionally about a, a third of a percent. Um, obviously, the earnings numbers were not were not blockbuster, you know, not to even be ironic because Netflix put blockbuster out of business. But it wasn't a blockbuster earnings. Um, but the gaming news seems to really be the takeaway for a lot of other investors about that. I want to make sure I understand this. Is the idea that there's going to be a Stranger Things game? I mean, what kind of games is Netflix going to put out there? Yeah, great question. I mean, they want to create games that are going to help to support their primary programming. So, yes, you should expect gaming experiences around some of their original content like The Witcher, etc. Now, they also said that they will license third-party games. So that might be games that they're having other people develop that might not also be attributed to their franchises. But it's still the early days, Frank. For now, they said they're going to experiment mostly with mobile games. So it's going to be for people who are on the go, not sitting at their living room you know that 80% of the content on Netflix right now is viewed in the living room. So this is meant to be an additive experience, not the primary experience. Interesting. I know you're a big fan of the great English baking show. I'm not sure if that translates to PlayStation 4. I just don't know yet. All right, Sarah Fisher from Axios, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Coming up, Bitcoin rallying back above 30000 But if you're a crypto investor, there is a big event coming up today. We'll talk about it when Worldwide Exchange comes right back. All right, welcome back. Let's get you up to speed on the morning's headlines. Bertha Coombs, she's back with more, more of those. Hey, Bertha. <laughs> hey, good morning, Frank. The U.S. is reportedly set to drop its opposition to a controversial Russian natural gas pipeline. The Wall Street Journal says the U.S. and Germany have reached a deal to allow the completion of the pipeline, and an announcement could come as soon as today. In corporate news, J.P. Morgan really, really wants Jamie Dimon to stay at the bank. So the company is granting the CEO a special award of 1.5 million share options. The FT reports an internal JPM model forecast the options would earn Dimon about $49 million after a 10-year vesting schedule. Not bad. And Apple will reportedly release only 5G-enabled iPhones starting next year. This, according to Nikkei. It also says the tech giant will revamp its budget handset for the first time 
in two years. I guess JP Morgan is worried that maybe, you know, like everybody else, Jamie Dimon might have a side hustle in space. It seems like that's the thing these days. You think he might be going to space, too? I'll tell you what, with those 1.5 million shares, you could definitely afford a ticket. Uh, Bertha Coombs, thanks for those right. (laughs) Well, you can call it the running of the Bitcoin bulls. Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey, and ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood, the three of them will be featured speakers today at the Bitcoin event, The B Word. They're going to have a live discussion at 2 p.m. Eastern time on how the cryptocurrency is perceived by the mainstream world. Musk and Dorsey, they initially agreed to a debate on, in a Twitter exchange last month. Their meeting comes as Bitcoin fell below 30,000 yesterday for the first time in a month, although it is back above that mark today. You see right now it's just uh, almost at 31,000. And this is since it hit an all-time high above 65,000 back in mid-April. Bitcoin has dropped by more than 50 percent, but it's still up 6 percent this year and more than 200 percent higher over the past 12 months. A lot of numbers there. We're going to break it all down. Let's talk more about this with Lawrence Lewidden, managing editor for markets at the Coindesk. Hey there, Lawrence. Hey, how are you? All right. Good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for being here. So let's just kind of get down to it. We got three what we might want to call luminaries of the crypto and tech world chatting a little bit about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies later today. We know what happened back uh, a couple months ago when uh, Elon Musk was on SNL and he kind of dissed Dogecoin, the kind of price action that created. What kind of action could today's discussion, much different forum, have on Bitcoin potentially in your mind? Yeah, I mean, right now the B word happens to be bear. Um, and, and that's <laughs> what's going on in the market. Uh, look, we could see a pop here and there, depending on what's being said. But we have to step back a little bit and see that basically Bitcoin has been on a downward decline since mid-May. Um, and it had its all-time high back in, in April. But May is a, an important point because that was when crypto uh, trading firms had a tough time in China uh, because of bans. They couldn't deal with financial institutions there. So basically, you had capital that couldn't leave China using crypto. It was a lot harder for them to do it. It was a lot harder to get access to crypto. Um, and then interest in Bitcoin just basically dropped off. You start to see this volume decline since then. Tether, which is the on-ramp for a lot, it's a stable coin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar. It's an on-ramp for a lot of Asian investors, particularly in China. Um, they buy it offshore potentially and, and invest it in Bitcoin. That stayed frozen at $62 billion since May. It's actually down a little bit since then. Um, it started the year at 20-something billion and it was in October, it was at $4 billion. So you're seeing this basically long-term decline in Bitcoin. So you could have all these influencers speaking today, and it might be good for a pop here and there. Uh, they might announce some more interesting things with, uh, you know, Kathy Wood and, and Jack Dorsey, you know, talking, uh, you know, Kathy Wood investing in, in stuff that Jack Dorsey's doing. Uh, we've already had that announcement. So we don't really know what could happen. But it's not right. going to be it's not going to overcome this kind of bearishness. All right. Well, obviously, today, though, people are pretty bullish. We're seeing Bitcoin's up about three and a half percent. Some other cryptos sure. up as well. What do you attribute that to today? I mean, obviously, we that we have this event coming up at 2 p.m. that a lot of people are talking about. But in your mind, that's not really a catalyst. No, it, it's buying. It, it might be just buying because the prices were below 30 and you have technical buying. You might have some interest coming in. People saying, oh, maybe there'll be an announcement. Maybe they'll, you know, maybe 
Elon Musk might say, you know, might tweet that he's going to be buying Bitcoin once he gets on the moon. Who knows what it's going to be? Uh, but overall, it's not going to overcome this lack of retail buying coming out of Asia that that was there months ago. It, it's a real problem that that Bitcoin has right now. And I don't know if the if any influencer can overcome that. Now they have short-term influence, right? right? You can have you can have these people coming in and, and tweeting and doing all sorts of things. And that might be good for a pop 2000 here and there, but it's not going to have it's not going to overcome this long-term problem. Yeah, speaking of that long-term problem, Bitcoin down more than 50% from its all-time high. You mentioned China kind of kicking out some of those miners. Um, remember when a lot of people thought of yep. Bitcoin as an inflation hedge? Whatever happened to that? And, and why hasn't we, we how, why have we seen the moves we've seen if that's really what it is? When you step back, it, you got to think about it as maybe potentially people were grafting all sorts of ideas onto Bitcoin. Yes, it, it, there was a limited supply of Bitcoin. And that, like gold, people look at it and say, okay, there are only so many 21 million Bitcoin that are ever going to be minted out there. And here we have, uh, you know, something like trillions of dollars coming into the economy, buying all sorts of crazy things, doing all sorts of risk on things. So why not buy some Bitcoin? The thing is, we might have been looking at Bitcoin uh, after the fact. In other words, we're seeing this rise in Bitcoin prices and attributing it to something like uh, like fiscal and monetary uh, easing, when in fact it might have just been other things happening in Asia, such as capital flight, such as just speculation. So that 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 narrative might have been added by the institutions as a justification for why they were putting it on their portfolio, but it might not be the real reason for that for that uh, that spike in prices months ago. You know, speaking of Bitcoin on a portfolio or companies holding Bitcoin, uh, there was a lot of excitement when companies like MicroStrategies uh, decided they were going to buy some Bitcoin. Um, but we've seen other companies like the payment companies, Visa and MasterCard, say they have no plans, at least in the near term, to hold crypto on their balance sheets. Is there a company, is there an institution that can just really put that stamp on crypto and have it rally again if they either put it on their balance sheet or announce that they plan to buy it? I mean, sure, there could be. You know, the Apples or Facebooks of the world, if they started buying it, maybe that might change things. Uh, but, for it, you know, Tesla put a billion dollars into it. And, and look at that. The price went from 60000 to 30000 I mean, nothing is it, it hasn't helped. And when you have a company with such retail um, enthusiasm as, as, as Tesla, MicroStrategy went out into the debt market and they borrowed a lot of money to buy Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet. And guess what? The price went down. They're, they're, you know, they're getting very close to their break-even price for Bitcoin, which I, I believe was in the 20s. So th this is, you know, this isn't necessarily going to do it. it, it having Bitcoin on a balance sheet isn't going to help uh, necessarily the price of Bitcoin, at least on the on the on the short term, unless it's unless it's a major overhaul of uh, how companies do their business and they and everybody and all these S&P 500 large cap, the largest of the large caps in the S&P 500 say, yeah, let's put it on our balance sheet. But right. aside from that, it, it, it's just not there. All right. Well, big crypto chat coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern. We're all going to be keeping our eyes on it. Lawrence Lewin, thanks for being here. Former CNBC alum. We appreciate your time. Have a great morning. Thank you. On Take deck, care, you too. futures pointing to a higher open on Wall Street. We're going to talk about the names that are leading the charge next. Boeing leading the blue chips higher at the moment. 
And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, Big Papa Brian Sullivan, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures pointing to a higher open. The Dow up almost 200 points. Let's bring in Keith Lerner, Chief Market Strategist at Truist Advisory Services. Keith, thanks for being here. Great to be with you, Frank. Yeah, so we have you today when the futures are all the way in the green, the Dow poised to pop about 200 points at the open. The market's coming off a really strong day. Still, we have those Delta variant concerns and some growing concern, at least with some people, that maybe the vaccines may, may not be as effective as we thought, that it may still be possible to get that Delta variant even if you get vaccinated. Do those concerns, on a day that we see the futures way up, do those concerns have the potential at all in your mind to halt or really slow down the expansion? Now, our view at this point is you could see a little bit of a slowdown, let's say this quarter, especially maybe people may not go to some of these big events. But uh, we still think the economic um, trajectory is on sound footing. Uh, If you think about it, Frank, um, you know, the economy is growing above 5 percent right now. Uh, We have record uh, earnings for corporations, record cash. Uh, Inventories are still really low, Frank. Think about, um, you know, there's a big backlog as far as inventory. So, you know, a little bit of a slowdown may be actually helpful. And the other thing that's really important is, this isn't last year. Uh, businesses have adapted. And also, we do have some vaccines. And we're seeing actually a decoupling between new cases and also um, hospitalization and deaths, especially in the UK. So I think that's why so far after the knee-jerk reaction on Monday, we've seen the markets actually rebound. And, and the last point, Frank, is you know the markets underneath the surface before this were already churning and selling off a bit in some of the more cyclical areas. So in some ways, we think this wasn't a big surprise. So I know your research finds that we're in a pullback right now, but one that has some very interesting data. This is some of your research. Mm-hmm. 47% of S&P stocks are now above their 50-day average. But back in April, that number was actually 90%. What does that say to you about the markets as we go forward? Well, normally you like to see good breath, meaning good participation as the market's making new highs. And, you know, the last uh, month or so, as markets were making new highs, underneath the surface, the market was actually somewhat weaker. There was a big rotation back into some of these mega cap tech stocks. So what, what, uh, from, a, from, a, from a perspective today, what that actually tells us is this corrective period is likely further along than people may think, because we saw a lot of these pullbacks in energy, in financials, in small caps. Those areas, especially before yesterday, were extremely oversold, and we saw um, money move back into that. So I actually think that's a, now a good sign that there's, there's more room for this, um, this uplink to, to continue. All right, Keith, we only have a few seconds left. Do you have a sector that you think that investors should watch today in particular? Well, I think, you know, right now all eyes are on the 10 years. So I think financials are really important, energy and, and small caps, just to see if we have a continuation of that. And those are areas that we like on this pullback. All right, Keith, great stuff as always. We appreciate you being here and waking up early for us. And that does, us, does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Coming up next, Andrew, Becky and Joe Kernan, a.k.a. Joey Chill. Squawk Box coming up.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.